Luke chapter 22, as we work our way through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, nowhere near finishing this chapter yet. Jimmy was asking me, hey, when are you going to be done with Luke and in the book of Revelation? And I said, about seven to eight more weeks in this book of Luke. So, and then we'll be going into that. Uh, Speaking of that, on Wednesday night, starting a new book, the book of Hebrews. So, encourage you to read chapter 1 of Hebrews. Today, Luke chapter 22, pick it up in verse 24. Now, there was... (laughs) I mean, you have to laugh at this. Now, there was also a dispute amongst them to which of them was they considered to be the greatest. Let's pray. <laughs> you don't even need to read any further. Like, g'day. <laughs> Ooh, I was, I was a little Aussie there for a minute. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you again. And we just ask for your hand upon our heart, Lord, navigating through these interesting days in which we live in. And so, Lord, that your spirit would guide us. And, Lord, we thank you for those serving. And, Lord, we thank you for those on the Internet and listening over our radio station. The Lord, that we would trust in you and not in man. And so, Lord, thank you again. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, last week we left off uh, with the Last Supper, with Jesus instituting communion. Now, think about that for a minute. They just had this beautiful scene that's happening. They're all around. Jesus has washed their feet. It is like a, a, kind of like a, a somber moment, a serious moment. And then, verse 24. You know, it. my flesh, the reason why Jesus is so amazing is that he did not blow these guys up. Right? We should read their verse and then him go back and go, are you kidding me? I got to go get 12 more guys. You guys can't change anything. And listen, they can't. They will be filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. So too with us. Now, listen, we often act like them. Now, there was also a dispute among them as to which one of them would be considered the greatest. Let me read this section. We'll come back. And Jesus said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called the benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest amongst you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs also serves, right? For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? And naturally, Jesus says, it is the one who sits at the table. Yet, I am among you as the one who serves. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials or temptations. And I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father has bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom and sit on the throne judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So in verse 24, This starts out with, remember, the evening is almost done. They're about to go to the Garden of Gethsemane, right, where Jesus is going to pray all all night. Uh, He's about to be handed over to the, the Gentiles, to the Romans to be crucified. It is a very somber time, and right then they think, this is a good time to argue about who's the greatest. And I'm sure it started with Peter. 
Peter, you know why? Because Peter is at the end of the table. He's not in the position of, (laughs) I can't wait to see this video. Again, perhaps the argument grew out of their speculating over who would betray him. That's quite possible. Or it could have been, like I said, the layout of the table. Maybe it was John who was saying, ah, he looking at Peter. I'm over here. You're over there. And then Peter started, well, Lord, who would be the greatest then in your kingdom? <laughs> Listen. When you are interested in promoting yourself, it doesn't take much to start an argument about who's the greatest. And we're going to see we live in a different time. We live in a time of likes and followers. And I, I kind of did a little search before I came up here. The top 10 uh, most followed people, I don't even want to mention them because they're all dumb. <laughs> Although a couple of soccer players which I thought was interesting, made the list of the top 10. But the rest of them, and I don't say this in a, ba- all right, they don't, they don't contribute anything to society. And I think we live in this world that we want to be the greatest. We want to be liked. We want to be loved. We want to be shared. We want to be promoted. And Jesus today says, stop thinking that way. You're thinking of the world, and I'm going to tell you how to think in the kingdom. And the kingdom is to serve. Again, Jesus had to explain that they were thinking like the unsaved Gentiles and not like the children of God. The Romans in particular vied for honors, and they did it however they could, legally or illegally to win promotion or recognition. But they are not the examples to follow. The world is not the example to follow. Jesus is our example. And Jesus tells us that he is the greatest. You see, they're talking amongst themselves, and they're missing that the greatest is sitting in front of them. They think they are. Hebrews is going to be a fun book for us. Because the book of Hebrews is all about this, that Jesus is greater. And the writer of the Hebrews is going to document why Jesus is greater than everything, than the law, and just everything. And so here Jesus tells us that he is the greatest. And he gives us an example of that. And he says, the kings and the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, And those who exercise authority of them are called the benefactors. The world exercises authority and power with a certain style. And all of it is about self-exalting. But Jesus wasn't like that. And neither should his followers be like that. Guys, I even have a problem with Christian awards. The Dove Awards, Music Awards. Why? I thought you musicians are doing it for the glory of God. I'm serious. I don't think it should be there. I don't even think any pastor should be on any magazine ever. That's self-exaltation. It's about Jesus. Guys, what does the world see when we are doing the same things that they are doing? What do they see? Is it a testimony? Is it a witness? 
Jesus said, hey, you're just acting like that. In fact, the greatest Jesus is going to tell us is going to be like the younger, about the servant, the one who didn't have a stake in the system, the outcast, and the one who governs should be like the one who serves. The idea of being called a benefactor is really the idea of getting credit. Many people only want to serve if they can be assured of getting the proper credit due. They want to make sure that they're seen. And Jesus says, well, then you have your reward from men and not from God. Guys, I do my best to thank all those who serve, but would you rather have me pat you on the back or Jesus? Amen? So don't get mad when I didn't thank you for whatever. We try to and we want to, but we don't want to rob you of that great blessing. And so, not so, verse 26, among you. On the contrary, he says, he who is the greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. You know, in this nation, it used to be, there used to be something called public service. Where, as the founding fathers had written and set up that people would go to Washington and they would do their public service and serve for only a time. The founding fathers didn't know anything about lifelong service in Congress. They said, you went and you did your time. You did your public service. How many of you were raised with that thought? You were told that is a great thing to do your civic duty, your public service. He who governs as he who serves. Um, I, I don't want to, and I really am not, I, I want to stay away from politics today. I'm going to do my best. But those people in Washington work for us. We don't work for them. That is our house. That is our White House. That is all of ours. We paid for that. They don't get, <laughs> they work for us. We are not their servants. They serve the people. Jesus tells us that right here. The one who governs, let him serve. Not to be served, but to serve. Notice he says, this is what the world says. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Now, from a worldly perspective, Jesus says, it's the one who is sitting at the table. Yet I am among you as one who serves. True greatness means to be like Jesus, and that means being a servant to others. Guys, a servant does not argue over who is the greatest because he knows that he is the least, and he accepts this from the hand of God. He knows what God has said. Since all Christians are to be servants, there is no reason for us to compete with one another for honors and recognition because we are all servants to serve one another. It's too bad that there is such a competitive spirit inside the church today. Again, Jesus makes mention of this, who is the greater? It's the one who sits at the table or the one who serves. The world regards the one who serves uh, I'm sorry, the, one who, uh, the world regards the one who serves as the least and the one who sits at the table is greater. 
Again, cultures have always envied a person who has many people serving him. In ancient China, they used to grow their fingernails so long that they could not do anything for themselves, and so they had all these servants to take care of them. That was a sign that they were somebody. But the people who are really great in our lives are the servants. If the president took a month off, or four years, no one would really miss it, would they? Seriously, no one would really miss it. But if you're if your garbage man, garbage woman doesn't come by in a week, right? It's the least, not the greatest. And that's what the world promotes. And again, this whole section is so that Jesus would tell us we need to rethink. We need to stop thinking like the world. Living as a servant really is the best way to live. We are no longer concerned about our own honor and credit. We don't walk around with hurt feelings and disappointments. Did you hear that? When we are the servant, we don't walk around thinking, I didn't get mine. (laughs) Oh, to just heed the words of the red letters. He says, but you are those who have continued with me in my trials. Did you see that? easy to kind of go over that but in the king james if you've got the king james i'm reading out of the new king james but in the king james it says temptations and you think about jesus and you go well i thought those temptations were just in the wilderness think about that for a minute that jesus had continual tribulations trials and temptations but he never gave in to them let me read to you from hebrews chapter 2 we'll get to this For in that he, Jesus himself, has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Are you tempted today? Jesus knows what you are tempted by. Not only that, Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but in all points was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus tells these guys, Hey, you've walked this path with me. And therefore, I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed a kingdom upon me, that you might eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on the thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. You see, being a servant doesn't mean that we are not rewarded. We are rewarded. God's greatest servants receive the greatest rewards. But a great servant doesn't serve just for the sake of the reward. He serves for the sake of the glory of God. Now, when we get to kingdom uh, and into the kingdom and Jesus is rewarding us, that's going to be wonderful and let him do what he's going to do. But please don't do what you do now for that which is to come. (laughs) Now, I have my own personal feeling that Peter started this whole thing because look at the next verse. (laughs) And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, that's Pete. I think he started the whole thing. I think John was poking at Peter. (laughs) And so Peter started the whole thing and she's like, okay, you ready for some humble pie, Pete? Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you 
that he may sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you are returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Did you see that in verse 31? It says, Satan has asked for you. I don't ever want to hear that ever. Like you're praying to the Lord and the Lord says, hey, uh, Ron, just so you know, um, Satan has been asking for you. Uh, But before you think to yourself, oh, that's all about Peter. (laughs) Sorry, the word you is in the plural. And if Jesus was Southern, which we know he was, he would have said all (laughs) y'all. Satan has asked for all y'all, all of those disciples. We are followers of the Most High God. That includes us. Sorry, we'll get perky at the end, but that kind of stinks, doesn't it? Satan has asked all the disciples so that he might sift them like wheat. These men have been with Jesus in his trials, and he would not forsake them in their trials. Jesus would not leave them nor forsake them. This was a, both a warning and an encouragement to Peter and the other men, and our Lord's prayer was to be answered. The, Think about this. Jesus prayed for them, and specifically Peter prayed for them. Again, Peter's courage failed, but not his faith. He was restored to fellowship with Christ and was greatly used to strengthen God's people. I want you to hear that. Peter's courage failed, but he didn't lose his faith. Peter's self-confident boasting is a warning to us that none of us really know our own heart, right? What is Jeremiah 17, 9? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Peter's self-confident boasting is a warning to us that none of us really know our own heart and that we can fail in the point of our greatest strength. Peter's overconfidence is going to, well, he'll deny Jesus in front of a little servant girl. Now, if you think the Bible is not filled with people who have failed, they have failed. Abraham's greatest strength was his faith, yet his faith failed him when he went down to Egypt and lied about Sarah, his wife. Moses' strength was in his meekness, yet he lost his temper, and he spoke rashly with his lips, and he wasn't allowed to enter into the land of promise. Peter, we could all agree, was a brave man, but his courage failed him, and he denied the Lord, as we will see three times. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. It is in our time of when we think that we are the strongest, it is that time in which we fail. Notice he says that your faith should not fail. Peter's faith would falter but not fail. Jesus did not see the temporary lacks that would come as a failure of faith because he knew that Peter would return to him. Notice what he says. When you return, strengthen your brethren. 
In the Christian life, we may falter, but we must never fail. If we have denied Jesus in some way, we must return to him immediately and then strengthen others around. Having returned, we must turn our focus upon helping others not to do what we have done. Oftentimes, when people have failed, they come back to the church and they, they kind of sit in their chair like a, a sad puppy who has been hit with a newspaper or something. Oh, we don't have those anymore. And we feel like we don't have a message. Oh, no, you've got a message. The message is, I failed. Guys, I, I know we laugh at Peter all the time, but how amazing has it been his testimony for 2,000 years? How many millions of Christians have read the section about Peter failing, then being restored, and then God using Peter, and then Peter being crucified upside down. Tradition tells us right after his wife, watching his wife be crucified. Millions of Christians have been strengthened by the guy who started the problem today. He didn't lose his faith. He just failed to be courageous. And as we learned on Wednesday night, we need to take a stand because the pressure's that Americans have never faced before as believers will start, and it's coming. Listen, you got to be resolved now. Where is your line? What do I believe in now? And sadly, what we see inside of the church is not a church that is being strengthened by the word, but as we will see today, strengthened by feelings, by mere feelings. Feelings aren't going to help you through the trials and the temptations and the oppression from governmental forces. What's going to help you stand is your faith in what you know and what you believe in and who you know and who you believe in. And you get all of that by this, not by feelings. Let's get away from feelings. And again, Nothing wrong with feelings, but when it comes to our walk with God, sometimes I don't feel like getting out of bed. Anyone else? None of you. It's all second service. Right? <laughs> there are times where you don't want to do what is right. You don't feel like it. it has nothing to do with feelings. Listen, I'm going to tell you, God will reward your faithfulness. When you don't feel, listen, on a Wednesday night, you've had a hard day at work, your boss has been chewing you out, whatever, and you, you're thinking to yourself, I should just go home. And God says, I want to be with you today. Come to church. And you come and you sit and you're tired. But when you leave, your spirit is refreshed for another three more days of life on planet Earth. Amen. Amen. Don't fail, God. Because he hasn't, nor will he ever, fail you. Again, there's a song. It's out, and we try not to sing it. But it says, God hasn't failed me yet. That's not doctrinally correct. God doesn't fail anybody. He's never have, nor will he. We fail. We walk away. 
Again, the one who returns after faltering isn't necessarily to be put on the shelf or to become self-focused, but they should reach out to strengthen their brethren. Say, don't do what I did. Don't go down that path. God has allowed several Calvary Chapel pastors to go kind of sideways in different doctrines, and when they came back, they, they stood up proudly and said, don't do what we did. Don't go down that path with your church. That was emptiness. That was wrong. I'm thankful for that. He says, but I have, verse 32, prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you return to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said, this is Pete, and you got to love Pete. I, I mean, I love him because we're all like this, right? When someone tells you something, you don't want to believe it, do you? And he says, Lord, <laughs> I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Does anybody doubt him? I don't. I don't doubt him at all. But Peter was unaware of both the spiritual reality and the spiritual battle that Jesus could see, but he could not see. Peter just looked how he felt at the moment. And that's why I brought that up. He felt pretty brave. Wouldn't you agree? Lord, I mean, in the garden, no spoiler alert, he's got his sword. Don't give a sword to a fisherman who has been sleeping. Bad aim. Cuts a guy's ear off. No one else had a sword even though Jesus will tell them that in a little bit. So I give it to Peter. Peter was brave. I believe exactly what he said. But Peter just looked at what he felt in the moment. When you are walking on feelings, all of this can change pretty quickly. Soon Peter will be intimidated before a humble servant girl and deny her that he even knew Jesus. He will even curse. That's shocking, a fisherman. Yeah. Someone once said it this way, it's sometimes easier to bear a great load for Christ than a small one. Some of us could be martyrs at the stake more easily than confessors amongst our neighbors or online. Jesus told Peter the truth about himself and the situation, not to discourage him, but to let him know that there was a spiritual reality and a spiritual battle that he was unaware of. He thought he could be brave, but it was a spiritual battle. That's why he said that Satan has asked to sift you. And then he said, I tell you, Pete, the rooster shall not crow this day before you deny me three times that you may know me. Three times he denied him. And yet, Peter's one of the pillars of the church. Died for his faith. Died for his Messiah. Lastly, 35 through 38, and he said unto them, when I sent you without money bag, knapsack, or, you know, backpack, and sandals, did you lack anything? And they said, nothing. And then he said unto them, but now he who has a money bag, let him take it. And likewise, a knapsack, 
and he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you that this which is written must be accomplished in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. By the way, that's speaking of the cross. For the things concerning me have an end. And so they looked and said, Lord, we've got two swords. These guys are not doing well with the revolution. And he said, oy vey, it's enough. So you look at this section, and you're like, Luke, what are you trying, why is it there? Trying to figure out the order of things. And what Jesus tells them in, in this section is, listen, when I sent you guys out the first time, you knew I would be there when you came back. You knew that I would be there to talk you through it, help you. But now, verse 36, and the idea is now I'm going away. I'm going to leave you. And when I'm gone, you must, listen, use common sense for your means of provision and protection. Such practical considerations were not needed before, but they are needed now. The disciples had been sent out to do ministry without Jesus in Luke chapter 10. But then they were received with goodwill and hospitality. They were welcomed when they went out. Remember that? But now they are facing hostility. They're facing a hostile world without Jesus and must be prepared and wise and use again common sense. That is why he says take a sword, not a long sword in the Greek, but a dagger, one for protection. Again, Jesus says this gospel doesn't go out by the sword, but by love. And I want you to hear this because there is a wing inside of the church that say we should be pacifists and we should not protect ourselves and we should always rely on Jesus. Now, doesn't that statement say, sound good? We should always rely upon Jesus. Who doesn't want to do that, right? They'll say that to you and you feel bad because you did exactly what Jesus said. Jesus says, listen, the first time I sent you out, it's different. Now I'm sending you out. You guys are on your own. They have the Holy Spirit. They'll get that in Acts chapter 2. But he tells them to use common sense. Don't go out and be foolish. In fact, he will say, if you go into a town and that town doesn't receive you, shake off the dust and go to another town. If they're going to beat you up, leave. Common sense. I think sometimes in the church, we've lost. I know I say this about the world, but this is the church. What is common sense telling us? I personally love that Jesus said, protect yourself. You have the right as a believer of Jesus Christ to protect yourself and your family right here. And he wants you to have common sense. 
You know, in the Old Testament, the Bible tells us to look at the ant. Why look at the ant? How the ant stores up and prepares. My wife and I are from California, and when you live in California, there's a little thing called earthquakes. I thought you were going to say communism. Oh, yeah, but we left before. (laughs) Oh, I'm just trying to keep it real. And as an earthquake, right, you knew if an earthquake happened that you would probably be without food and water, any means of getting anything. The water lines break. The power is pretty much out for days. And so you prepared yourself to take care of yourself without any outside means, which means I don't rely upon the government. I forget what governor we had a while back, uh, but I think it was during the Obama administration. It may have been Sanford. But the federal government wanted to bring aid after a hurricane, and the governor said, we will take care of ourselves in South Carolina. I'm like, right on, right on. Why? Because we live where there are hurricanes. By the way, we do have earthquakes. One of the biggest earthquakes that has ever been in the United States was in Charleston. Who knows that? Okay, a couple of you win Jeopardy today. Do you know that? (laughs) We have tornadoes here. We have ice storms here. We have kind of a lot of things here. We have giant palmetto bugs. They'll take away a child. So it's good in this state to be prepared for a hurricane. A generator, food, water, or a water purifier so that you are, if you are cut off from any means of getting whatever, you have that. Those who lived in the Midwest or in the colder areas, what are you taught to have in your car? a blanket and a way to keep yourself warm if you are stuck in a blizzard. It's common sense. But how many people are caught after a disaster with zero, thinking that the man or the government is going to take care of them? Jesus says, have common sense. Take care of yourself. Protect yourself and your family. Shocking, isn't it? But we have a government that wants to take away that right. In a heartbeat. And I'm not going down that path today. I won't let you do it. I won't do it. That's another message. But can you hear the common sense of Jesus? Guys, the first time I sent you out, it was totally different. Second time, make sure you take extra clothes, right? Like your mom told you. Extra underwear, socks, protection, and extra clothes extra food, you don't know where you're going, what you're going to come into, but also when you get into those cities, right, you're going to pray, Lord, would you take care of this situation? Would you help me? Nothing wrong with that. Invite God to be a part of what you're doing, but he tells you to be smart because he gave us this, not wonderful hair. (laughs) A brain. Don't you love that? God gave us a brain and common sense and his Holy Spirit. So when we do things, we're hopefully listening to the Holy Spirit. I love this story Pastor Chuck teaches. He said, um, you know, we really should listen to the Holy Spirit more. He said, I was out back cutting a tree down. (laughs) Pastor Chuck, if you have, 
ever know in all of his story, he loved to cut trees down. And I loved to do that too. It's just therapeutic. Going up to Arrowwood, cutting the grass, have your headphones on, whatever. Cut, just cutting in yeah, just rugged stuff, right? And there he was. He was cutting this tree, and he heard. He didn't know later. He said, later on, I knew it was the Holy Spirit. He, as he was cutting this tree, he heard God tell him, Chuck, don't do that. How many of you have ever heard that to you? Not Chuck, but <laughs> don't do that. It's clear as a bell. And then we go, and Chuck pulls the chainsaw, does it. The chain uh, jumps and grabbed his finger. Didn't take it off, but sliced it enough. And when he put it down, he goes, that was God. <laughs> Guys, we have a brain. We have common sense. We add God into the picture of it. And then we work for the kingdom of God. Smartly. We need to stop doing things the hard way. And we certainly don't need to be dependent upon government. Notice what he says as he wraps this section up, because they're about to leave, and then he'll go to the garden. That'll be next week, Lord willing. He says, for I say this to you, this which was written and still to be accomplished. All of this, guys, needs to happen because it was in the Old Testament. Everything that I am doing. And remember, they will remember that after they are filled with the Holy Spirit. They'll remember these conversations, that all the things that Jesus told them beforehand. And he said, this was to be accomplished in me and that he was numbered with the transgressors. Guys, I have to be in between two thieves. I have to go to the cross. Because if I don't go to the cross, you're not going to have eternal life. And your sins are not going to be paid for. I have to do this. Why? He says that to them right before he is arrested. Now, Pete should have picked up on that. But he didn't. He pulls out a sword. And we'll get to that. He said, for these things concerning me have, uh, concerning me have an end. And so they looked at one another. Again, this, this is why I, I just want to watch these videos. Lord, we've got two swords. Twelve guys, two swords. <laughs> Not really good, is it? And one of them is Peter. We know that. I'd love to know who was the other guy who got the sword. And listen, he says to them, oh, it's enough. And the, in the Greek, it means we're going to stop talking about this topic. That's what it means. Guys, I've told you these things. When I leave and I'm departed, you'll remember all that. So when you go out and you do ministry, you'll remember, hey, remember Jesus told us to take a money belt, a backpack, extra food, socks, and a dagger. Because the world is hostile. This world is not friendly. This world is not getting better. We are not evolving into a better mankind. We're not evolving into something great. We are de-evolving. All you have to do is spend five minutes on social media to know that we are de-evolving. <laughs> or to watch Congress, right? And so if I know that, and I know the words of my boss, then I am prepared. 
and I won't be unprepared for what is coming. And what is coming in about eight weeks is going to be our traveling through the book of Revelation, where we see God unveiling the apocalypse, the apocalypto, the, uh, the revealing of Jesus. And he'll let us know what's coming. So, <laughs> read ahead. <laughs> Hebrews 1 for Wednesday night, and then read ahead for next week, Lord willing, because we're going to see Jesus in the garden, and then Jesus arrested, and then we will see uh, maybe G, uh, Peter denying Jesus at the same time. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your mighty word, your mighty provision, your Holy Spirit that gives us that dunamis power to live this life, to live in a world I could never describe five years ago. But Lord, you knew that all things were going to take place. You have written this in your word. You knew this global elite. You knew this global monetary system. This one world structure was going to come up. Lord, nothing catches you off guard and neither should it with us. Lord, you told us beforehand and that we would be aware and be prepared. Thank you again, Lord, for our time as the body of Christ to meet together. Lord, that you would strengthen those who are ill, those who can't be with us today. In Jesus' name. Amen.